0: Your Thought is presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here are your hosts,
1: Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. Recently, Jerry, me, and our guest have discussed food waste with renowned experts, Dr. Lisa Johnson from North Carolina State University, and our own regular guest, Cheryl Kirschenbaum from Michigan State University or I should say, from food at MSU. We learn things that are startling about how food waste is present in our society. Facts like, food waste costs more than all the investments combined made by our state and federal governments into higher education. Facts like, America, we are wasting 1,400 calories per person per day. That's almost half of what we grow. The energy connected to the food being wasted is equal to 2% of our entire United States energy budget. But if we re-engineered policy to capture energy, carbon emissions, and wasted water associated with just food waste, we would have more than enough reserves to create a food-secure nation. At the end of the show, we suggested some ways to combat food waste on a personal and household level. This is going to have a powerful impact. We thank you for what you're doing. But when you think about the enormous problem of food waste, we need to address it at the economy of scale and do more and better regarding food waste sooner. Thankfully, we have such an expert in our network. Some 30 years ago, Forgotten Harvest was founded to address the waste of nutritious food and at the same time use those assets to tackle food insecurity in our communities. Their leader, influencer, CEO, and president of Forgotten Harvest, who travels extensively to address these topics and more, is our friend, colleague, and our guest today on Food for Thought. He's Kirk Mays. We'll be right back. You come back and be with us. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. Food for Thought here. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight in the studio with our friend and colleague, Kirk Mays. Kirk, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Great seeing you guys again. So we're going um, to talk a little bit about you and then a little bit about Forgotten Harvest. But then we've got a little bit larger topic that we want to pick your brain about. So update us on you and some of the happenings at Forgotten Harvest since the last time you were here. Sure. So uh, we're continuing to work on uh, making sure that
0: we can provide a future for the people that we serve, that we're making a greater impact. So, you know, we uh, at the end of uh, though at the beginning of uh, 2016, we began to work on, you know, developing a new strategic plan. Uh, we're well within, uh, you know, you know now the the working uh, throes of making that thing happen. Uh, we're looking for some really exciting uh, assets to really help build our future. Um, so hmm. it's always a great, um, exciting and dynamic day um, in my life right now. Uh, while we've been doing that, uh, you know, the organization has really been going through a lot of also internal change and growth, you know, really, uh, trying to make sure that we're very sensitive to, uh, the, the happiness level and the, and effectiveness level and how connected people are within our organization, um, so that we can, you know, you know, make this. Uh, this this change for the community in a way that um the people at Forgotten Harvest are empowered to to contribute to that as much as possible and um it's it's more than a notion, you know, to coordinate um, so many different minds and spirits towards one direction, but it, it is definitely well um it's the work is is, is well worth it and, and very gratifying. The, the strategic
1: time. plan is um when I read it has a lot to do with the word right. Right place right can you walk us through that
0: ultimately we get we got to this sentiment where we just wanted to make sure that um the uh, the food that we deliver to the organizations that we're working with is is the right food the right time the right place for the right for the right people in the right amount you know so Hmm. really just making sure that we are are moving towards our sweet spot right of of getting the, the food out there to the community considering the fact that we're working in in what we call like a push model where you know mm-hmm. Jerry a lot of your your clients and customers are coming to you they're ordering before they come they're picking up at your location you know we're pu- we're getting the stuff from our partners in the field with the lo- local grocers and and things of that sort and we're trying to turn it around as quickly as possible so uh the coordination of getting the food out is a bit different so we we it's a, since it's a push right and 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 we have a lot of you know really control over what gets pushed out. We're trying to make sure that we're doing everything to improve the quality quantity and diversity of what's getting pushed out to everybody that's forgotten harvest is served by and And i'm going to throw two words that i just heard come out of you the first
2: is transformation transformation internally so that that transformation could extend externally back to the community and i think those are that's a really important word that you know you just spoke about and transformation is hard and it's necessary and the second thing is solvable Yes, you know we talk about this being a solvable problem, but the work that you just described we're looking at internally, how do we do our best and all those rights, yeah. this right and this right and this right it doesn't it's not for the sake though of having a great place to work it's for the sake of making the community served at the best and highest level and that's transformational and that's how this problem is solvable so i think that's phenomenal work and and i know that we we talk a lot and we work together a lot and uh and i and i mean it i think that we're very excited watching what's going on and knowing that uh you know we're hand in hand in this making sure this stuff is getting done
0: here here i mean i appreciate that jerry you know and I, i'd add one more piece like in 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 the best sense of the term the work in many ways is very humbling it's humiliating if you can take that in a in a in a positive sense you know and I would say that important thing for me to continue to remember in this role of leadership is to not allow myself in the in the moments where I've been humbled to to recognize that there's more that I we could do better there's more that we could do to serve our inner community the ones that we can serve more that we can do to serve our outer community to not let personal or institutional ego get in front of our opportunity to really make transformative change uh, for the better you know whether that's our relationship between our two organizations or whether that's us trying to figure out if we got enough resources in a particular community that we haven't served um, you know at, at, to the greatest of our ability so um, it's been a painfully sweet process um, of growth. Uh, And um, I look forward to what the the fruits this will bear um,
1: in in a few years. So there's just a little bit of perspective for our listeners here. So 43% of the people who are food insecure in the state of Michigan live within the territory, service territory that you two guys lead. Uh, At Forgotten Harvest and at Gleaners. Statewide, the Food Bank Council and all of our members, which are seven, distributed 181 million pounds of food last year. Mm. And between Gleaners and Forgotten Harvest, you distributed over 80 million pounds of that 180 million pounds to the most populous area of the state for food insecurity. And I applaud you both. And we have great work to talk about. That's in the past. But we're going to talk about another topic in the next side of this segment here that I think will go a long way toward helping define the people that we're serving and some of the situations that you guys find yourself leading through. He's Jerry Brisson. He's Kirk Mays. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back on Food for Thought in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Kirk Mays in our studio. And, uh, fellas, let's, uh, let's dive in the deep end of the pool here. You guys were having a great conversation about um, really some of the uh, aspects of the emergency food network and really what makes it emergency. And what makes it emergency is the life that many of our people that are dependent on us, what they're, how they're having to live. So I want to throw that out to you and see if you can... Can, uh, can tee that up for us.
2: And really, you have to think about a crisis or
1: an emergency on
2: several different levels, right? There's So there's the individual level and what happens in a, in a person's life. And for someone who's very close to poverty, that crisis may be a flat tire that keeps you from going to work or keeps you from getting your kids to school, but you don't have the resources to fix it. And so now all of your energy has to flow around, how do I fix this crisis today? Day. and that dynamic of living very close to the, the end of your nose. You just got to get through the crisis of today. But when you th- when you take crisis to the next level, the household level, a lot of reasons why people need help are because they lost a breadwinner, e- either through death or divorce. Or or there's a sickness in the family mm-hmm. that changes the crisis for the household. And we know that when there's a sickness in the family, that changes everybody's activities and priorities and, and what you have to spend your time doing. Well, you ratchet that up then to a crisis in the community. And you think about the Great Recession and how that crisis, just in this community, how many jobs were lost and how many people that affected, different level of response, different type of prioritization. Then you go to the region or the state or nationally, and each of those levels defines a different response from the emergency food system. That's right. And mm. that's a, that's, so as we, as we look at this as a multi-layered Problem and as we think about again some of the things Forgotten Harvest is doing to get data mm-hmm. to really get underneath the crisis at all these different levels from an individual level to a household level to a community level to a regional level and mm-hmm. to the statewide level at least in the work that we're doing together I think there's a there's a lot of reflection that can be had about that and why don't you give us some of those reflections Kirk
0: Well I, first I'd like to say you know I think this is the exact type of context that we need to be looking at our work, you know, at, like, how we need to be looking at our work, Um, because, you know, if you just think about some of the, 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 the previous situations we had, like, for instance, Flint, you know, many don't know that the backbone of the response for the Flint water crisis has and and has been right um the the flint food bank right the eastern michigan food bank their warehousing Mm -hmm. their logistic capacity um their ability to safely handle food where water is a food item and their ability to distribute within a already um, established network of community partners uh if you think about that and all the different ways that um Emergency situations could stress a logistic system for people to get served. You know, our operations are really, um, really some of the only kind of real mechanisms to react in this way. And uh, I think it's it's really appropriate to have a conversation outside of a a moment of crisis to talk about who we are in this whole continuum of, of the safety net. On emergency time for the greater community, but also off time for the greater community when we're actually addressing the crises that most people don't see—the ones that are personal, within the home, and more private. And uh, I think what's really groundbreaking and and exciting for us is the fact that we're engaging this in this process to collect information, so it can really and data at the sites where we're actually um, giving food away so that we can start to get a really much clearer picture into who are actually going through these crisis situations. um, Where are they? And, you know, what is the frequency? What is the actual level of interaction that people are actually coming in and out of crisis? Um, What we found so far is it's not as uh, persistent um, as people may think, uh, the person that is going through a line in January mm-hmm. may not be the same person going through the same the, the same line in June or July. Uh, it's not something that is necessarily cyclical on a weekly, monthly or quarterly basis. It might happen um, over an annual period. It might happen, like you said, in times where there are event level crises or shifts in people's, uh, you know, relationship with work um it might be something where uh like you said somebody could go be going through a family situation but what we're finding is that there's not a static group of people that we quote unquote need to quote fix and and help them figure it out and then once we do that this problem be solved yes Hmm. uh there definitely is a group of people who um, will probably always need the emergency food system, supplemental food, um, because they have um, other kinds of challenges in their lives that prevent them from completely taking care of themselves in some respect. Uh, that is a recognized group of people. There's usually a continuum of care out there that can, we could provide a wraparound for, and we are vital in that. Uh, but. Uh, There's also another system that we need to look at, which is that system of support and care for when people are going through transition um, phases that we all could be working on together from the business community, Mm -hmm. specifically workforce development. Of course, the nonprofit world and different, you know, uh, sectors of of our social service uh, world. Uh, But I think it's full time for us to have a broader conversation about what it's taking for our families in Southeast Michigan to actually get from week to week, check to check and who's all in on this. Um, and the stresses that it's it's presenting to our bottom lines, but also who's not at the table under these discussions and help trying to help us figure out how to create a system where people don't have to stay in a, in a situation of vulnerability.
2: I think the other thing that's really changed <clears throat> since I started in this work is our really looking ahead to, really not just reacting to whatever is happening today, but really thinking holistically as you've described about, okay, who who is it that needs help and when do they need help and for how long do they need help? And so when you start taking this beyond an individual or a household level and you start looking at the whole community and you start really understanding the dynamics of things like the government shutdown, how many more people had to enter the system? Did they know how to do it? How do you communicate? with people that have never needed help before that this is how you go through this system then when you take it to the next level up when you start thinking about you know, the economy's been good and that's been awesome it's taken a lot of people out of the line there's no question about it but that won't last forever so we have to be thinking about knowing we are helping people manage their individual crises today on a certain level about half of that need is met which means half of those individual and household crises we're not helping enough yet. And we know we're not helping enough. And so we're looking at ways to expand our our resources. But while we're doing that, we're also thinking about when the next bigger crisis comes, how do you triage that? How do you make food available to people that need it most in the way that's going to be most impactful so that you can minimize the devastating impact of those bigger events? And that's a pretty big challenge. But as you said, the data collection, the, the work that you're doing, to really understand on the ground who's showing up, how often, and what they need.
1: Very important to do that. So you both raised some really interesting points. I mean, you're talking about who needs help, how much help do they need, and for how long. Um, And so one of the things I want you guys to talk about, maybe on the other side of this break, is so what's the impact of the food that you're using uh, to stabilize that household. What's the economic impact? What's the emotional impact? What is, it, what is our impact on that? I know you've got some data and you know, you, you've got some stories about how that's happened. The other thing is, Jerry, you just brought up in your, your chat right there a very important policy question, which is the asset test. So when a person falls in and out of this emergency food system, um, currently – We have a law on the books here in state that says that we have to uh, assess a person's assets to see if they're available for any of the emergency services that other people that that are there. And so what we do is make them spend every dollar they've ever saved, sell any piece of property they've ever owned, then we'll come alongside of you with some emergency food which is just back in my mind because it would seem far better to stop someone from going all the way to financial ruin and help them early when they re-enter the system rather than later. So I'll get your guys to react on that, but on the other side of the break, we'll talk about impact in just a moment. He's Jerry Rassan. He's Kirk Mays, the CEO for Forgotten Harvest. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought. listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson, brought to you by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. We're back here on Food for Thought, Jerry Brisson in the studio, Kirk Mays, the CEO and president for Forgotten Harvest, and me, Dr. Phil Knight. So what's the impact of what we're doing, and what, what's the impact that we really want to have? Well, I know
2: uh, when we were talking to the uh, pharmacists in Michigan, we were trying to give them uh, just some kind of glimpse about the impact of all of the food banks in the state. And so we talked about the 181 uh, million, pounds. million pounds of food, but then we we said, but it's it's got an economic impact sure. of 450 million dollars.
1: Right. Yeah, if right? they had bought that food at retail value, that's what it would have would have been. And I want to say, too, Jerry, that in my history uh, within the food banking, feeding America world, uh, huge shift from when I started just five years ago until today, where we used to only measure impact with the number of pounds. But you two guys have been principal in leading that discussion that that's not enough to measure our impact.
2: That's right, because one of the things that we know for sure is anything that's not consumed has no impact. Right. right? So if we're distributing food that's not being consumed because it happens to be available for whatever reason, then it's really not having any impact at the household level. So by changing that to an economic impact, it forced us to ask different questions about, are people actually consuming this? Do we know for sure that people are eating the food that we're distributing? And without applying too much judgment because there's always a danger there that if if, that people say well if they're hungry they should eat whatever you have but you can only eat so much zucchini i mean (laughs) you know and and if, if if that's what there's a huge surplus of even if you like zucchini you can't eat an infinite amount of it, right? right? So we have to balance the food supply with what people can actually reasonably consume and want to consume within a reasonable amount of time. And that dovetails, Kirk, into what you were saying about link-to-feed. We didn't mention link-to-feed specifically. Yeah. That's the data system that we're both using to yeah. try to capture the food that we're getting to people and the impact that food is having. And, and I, you know, I really want you to tell the story about the site... Um, That you that you were measuring um, and it turned out you really needed to change the food that needed to go to that site
0: because of who was going there. Yeah, so, you know, as we're looking at this data and, and, you know, the whole process of collecting data and changing the way that we're working with our partners to get this information is is been, you know, quite a, a process all in and of itself. Um, but, you know, the further we get along, the more we learn things that help us all understand how valuable this information is going to be for us to make good decisions. Um, so as we look at um, some of the information that's being self-reported by people, at these sites, uh, we're seeing this high occurrence of type 2 diabetes, um, high occurrence of uh, people basically having high high blood sugar levels and that kind of stuff, and we're um, basically looking at it and saying, well, why would we send items to these places um, that could potentially have senior citizens on medication, on, uh, you know, uh, restricted budgets, and we're sending things that essentially could potentially not even be a part of what they can consume. You know, we need to rethink how we actually redistribute our food in a push model to make sure that it's going to maximize the ability for us to actually help people through what they're going through. And because a lot of the places that
2: distribute food do it out of a genuine sense of concern, not out of any specific training or any specific mindset or knowledge that says this is what's going to be best for people. It's more, hey, you know what? I can help. I want to help. Tell me what I can do to help. And that puts us in a position where having this information where we can say to a location, whether that's a church or a school or some other place that's doing a mobile pantry, we can say to them, here's how you can help people the most. And our network is, is really an. I I don't mean this in a flip way, hungry for that information. People want to do the right thing, and they want to do it in the best possible way, but they don't have the information they need either. So, Phil, your question was about impact. Mm -hmm. And I think, fundamentally, when you get to impact... You have to have information. You can't have impact, or you can't, at least you can't know your impact well enough right. unless you have information that supports. You know what? I used to have seven financial trade offs a month, but then I got some help from the emergency food system, and that saved me $450 in my budget, and that reduced the number of trade offs I had from seven to three. Now again, not every household are you going to have exactly the same impact, but by knowing the economic impact we have and by asking people questions about did this help you manage your life, we can learn some very practical things about was that enough help? And rather than thinking about did we fill their their food gap, if instead we say, you know, we can give someone 5 or 6 or 800 dollars worth of food help for a cost to us of less than 100 dollars. Then you can start to see maybe we should think about food not just as a gap filling. Does this solve just a very small part of your household uh, financial issues? But could we, at a lower cost, solve food with you so that you can manage the rest of your life by yourself? And that is what most people want.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Jerry, this is is such a powerful context to put it all in and you know sometimes we just kind of think about this stuff and we think about how we get a chance because of the work that we do to really bring to our awake a working conscience every day like how relevant food is is like every part of your life so <clears throat> i guess this is something that's easy for everybody to see but we really only think about this and until you only think about it until like you actually are hungry like, people really only hmm. kind of think about their food... Right. Like, th- let me put it this way. This is what we're dealing with. Like, in our society right now, we're struggling with getting people to pay attention to uh, the moment when there are those in our in our community who get to the place where they're hungry, something that we all experience every day. But some of us don't have the ability to do anything about it. Actually, some of us are at a place where... um, they they really have to eat whatever is coming to them. And then, look, the first time that happens to you, you know, you may not even take it as that serious of a situation. You know, you've mm-hmm. been able to figure out how to get hungry, you right. know, before. Maybe this is just a time gap where you've extended the amount of time you, you can you have to go hungry. I mean, people can last longer than they think before you actually start looking for food, right? And what happens is, is the more you go through that, the more you get to a place where hunger comes and there's a problem to get it solved, it actually creates this anxiety. And then another layer of crisis adds on another opportunity for crisis is which which is not only the, the point where you're hungry, but actually the point where, you know, by the time you get hungry the next time, you're not going to have a solution. So there's people out here who have been trained to worry about being hungry. Because they perpetually don't have a solution for addressing their hunger. And what we're here to do is to try to relieve both of those ends of the the, the the deepest hurt in our society, to relieve people of the worry by letting them know there's a reliable system to get food when you're when you're hungry and when they actually get there and they don't have a ready solution to actually fix it, to give them a place to go, to give them to give the support to the places that we serve that they that they could go to. So that they can actually solve this without having to worry. So they can go on and do the rest of the things that you're talking about, budget for next month, and worry about solving their kids' problems. And therein lies, I think, one of the most fundamental things that we
2: believe. And that is you cannot solve the other more complex problems in life until you find a way to solve this. Because when you're hungry... this? This hunger. This Mm -hmm. hunger, right? That when you're hungry especially in the situation you just described where this has happened several times and you're not sure of the solution, you're going to start taking more of your time and energy just to make sure you can solve that. It's logical. It's sensible. It's painful to be hungry. I mean, physically painful and emotionally painful as you just described. So you don't want that. You're going to do pain avoidance stuff, right? And part of that is I'm going to figure this out one way or the other. Well, if you're also trying to figure out how to get to work, you're also trying to figure out okay, I got to manage my heat in my house and I, so that my bill is cheaper and I got to manage what shoes my kids are going to have and where I'm going to get those shoes. When you start taking time away from those solutions, those problems get more expensive. And that's why people who have less money end up spending more money right. to solve problems right right because you have less time to think about it yeah. and it's a it's a cascading problem that we can make a tremendous and are making, yeah, but we're learning more and more and more about the difference we're making, and by by doing that, we're able to describe to investors. When you make an investment in this solution, you're not just helping the people who are hungry, but you're also helping your own businesses, your own yeah. education system, your own healthcare system. The things that are affecting you every day right. are going to be better if we can solve this. And that is a huge
1: part of what we think the impact really is. Yeah. So the impact, the answer that I'm hearing from you guys is that the food that we're able to place into a household for a family has effect on their health, it has effect on empowering them to continue to help themselves, and it brings a bit of stability into the household so that at least this is one trade-off or the toxic stress that food insecurity brings with it is lessened, if not relieved. And so that, that frees people up to think about some of the other challenges that they might have. So, I'm going to just use that as a segue to say that, you know, I think that leaders should think before, beyond, and better than the rest of us, and they should have a vision, and a vision of our impact, and what, it, what, does that, what does that look like? And a vision is simply, this is what I my idea of a better tomorrow, and so I'm going to throw that out to you, Kirk, and what do you see as the vision for a better tomorrow regarding the impact of our network?
0: So I had an exercise that I had put my leadership team through, and I basically asked them, I said, you know, if, to, if today's meal that you had with you and your family was your last meal and you really didn't have the resources for tomorrow to provide a meal for you and your family, what would you do? Now... I already understand how people are going to kind of like from the gut answer that question. But then I ask them to simulate it, meaning walk through the steps that you're about to tell me. So whatever you tell me, you're going to have to actually follow up with this. So don't give me the lazy answer that I'm just going to call such and such and such and such. I need you to simulate it, meaning I need you to put yourself into a mental and emotional state of calling mom or dad, calling your friend, doing what you think you would easily do. And when you get to that place, let me know how it feels to do that. Let me know what you just did to that personal connection you have when you set off the alarm that there's this level of instability in your life going on right now that you you had to come to this point with me because you didn't just ask for food. You just raised off a whole bunch of alarms with somebody who obviously must be one of the most important people in your life because at the level of the deep knuckle vulnerability, you calling them. So who do you think they about to react with? Oh, you're not making that call no more, are you? Now what are you going to do? You work at Forgotten Harvest. So now what are you going to do? Try to figure out how to access our services. Try to figure out what you're going to do now if you needed to actually get compassionately served the way you need to get served if you needed it tomorrow, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's the type of mental situation that I'm trying to work on with my leadership team so that it can then also kind of, you know, get down to the people that's making decisions so that we start thinking in this, what we've been getting, you know, indoctrinated (laughs) in this outward mindset to really understand what people start to put ourselves in a position where we're starting to live more in other people's shoes, whether it's right next to you or the people we serve in. And ultimately, if we could have a system out here where our ultimate outcome is, people don't have to worry about whether or not they know what to do. If they got to that place of vulnerability, hey, I'll clap right there. Right. Whether a mother with that with that child has you know enough food in her fridge or not whether she had a full plate of, f- of food in front of those kids or not if people are still worried about this then ultimately are we making an impact that matters to the kid that while she's in school and hungry that matters to the mother or father that's sitting in front of the job interview that knows they don't have food for later you know I feel like that's the impact that I want to make sure we we delve into as we continue to make the changes we're making, not just providing more pounds for people in the community.
1: Thank you, Kurt. We'll be right back in just a moment. Welcome back to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back for a wrap-up here on Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, uh, that's our friend, Kirk Mays, who's still with us here in the studio. We want to give Kirk the last word here. Oh, okay, the next to the last word, but I I always get the last word. So (laughs) what's your last word? Well, I just want
2: to give
1: some credit
2: to that perspective that Kirk just gave us about if it were you and you had to simulate what you would do How would it change your thinking about the system you would want to have in place? We just heard testimony in Washington from a lawyer who made a ton of money, who is now going to spend the next few years in jail, who has absolutely nothing left. Mm -hmm. Somebody who was extremely wealthy is now poor. And something, though we can't maybe imagine it today, something could happen to any one of us. Put yourself in that situation as if it did happen and walk through the steps you would take and the conversations you would have to have in order to get yourself
0: out of that crisis. That's a big deal and it affects me deeply. Kurt? I just want to remind everybody of the fact that while we're all focused on Michigan's turnaround and the upliftment and, the, and, the uplifting and re- turnaround of Detroit, that There'll probably never be another moment where we all will have so much opportunity to make an influence on the future of what a major city in America looks like. And if you're here and you're paying attention and you really care about making your mark into what Detroit's going to look like in the future, just remember your legacy is going to have to be something more than
1: a building. For sure. Time for a little food for thought. Albert Einstein said, We cannot solve the problems with the same thinking we use to create them. And that's really what Jerry and Kirk have talked about here today. When I listened to Kirk uh, explain about the exercise that he's taken his leadership through, team through to understand what it's really like to be in need, I was reminded because I've lived it. I've had that life upset that robbed me from the opportunity to earn. And thankfully, I had a good support team to come alongside of me. But not everybody has that. And so I end this food for thought with simply saying, yet for the grace of God, there go I. Thanks for listening. Catch up on all our shows at foodsecuremichigan.org. Be sure to listen in the next couple of weeks as we have some big news coming to you about our show And as always, until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first.
0: Food for Thought has been a presentation of the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.